Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I am your host, John Harris. I have been traveling and doing a number of projects over the last week, which is why I haven't podcasted. I know some of you might be wondering, is he on vacation? Did he get hurt? What's going on? No, I'm actually working harder than I have in a long time on a number of things. One I can't talk about. It's it's top secret for now, but you'll hear about it in the next few weeks or months at least. Uh, the other one's the 1607 Project. And if this is the first time you're hearing about it, 1607project.com, you can find out more. In fact, I'm doing an interview about it tomorrow. And I'm just plugging away every day, um, doing editing and uh, getting the narrative right. And so I'm excited about that. It'll be a good resource, especially for homeschoolers out there looking for American history stuff. And you don't want 1619, and maybe you don't want the 1776 Commission stuff. This will be um, a good alternative. For both of those things. Well, today there are a few things uh, I want to talk about really more as a catch up. I wanted to talk about things that have taken place over the past week, especially. And I want to start off, uh, we're going to go from broad to narrow. We're going to start off with Christendom and then kind of like narrow it down to um, the evangelical church in North America. But we'll start here with this uh, from one week ago, this story from the Western Journal, Pope Francis invites a large group of transgenders to eat lunch with him at the Vatican. And the article goes on to talk about how this is a uh, change, that his, Pope Francis is different than previous popes, and that he gives them the VIP treatment, uh, this group of quote-unquote transgender Catholics who will, I guess, come and eat with him uh, regularly. And, um, and, and of course, they say very nice things about him. And the thing I wanted to point out more than anything else is that those who are wanting to leave the evangelical church for Roman Catholicism because they think on a cultural level it's superior, you need to examine stories like this. You need to think through things. You need to think through this. This is from the Vatican uh, in November. Uh, this was uh, crafted and put out on the 11th I th or the 16th, I should say, of November. And it is a statement on an interreligious dialogue at the end of a seventh, uh, the seventh Buddhist Christian colloquium. And if you go and read this, it says, among other things, that uh, as Buddhists and Christians, we see the Buddha and Jesus as great healers. The Buddha pointed to greed and Jesus to sin as the cause of suffering. And on many levels, Jesus and Buddha proposed love and compassion as medicine to drive out the darkness of the human heart in the world. Nourished by their respective spiritual teachings, Buddhists and Christians for thousands of years have adopted compassionate ways of living to address the suffering of life. 
And here's the thing about it. This is extremely ecumenical. And perhaps this started more than any other event, Vatican II. But this has gone off the rails. Uh, this is not something that previous generations of even Catholics would recognize in their church. And so if you're, you know, want to be a traditional Catholic, and, and I know there's, of course, many issues that need to be discussed that I think are of primary importance, such as imputed righteousness versus infused righteousness, Mariology, papal infallibility, the canon, purgatory. I mean, there's a lot of things. I think, though, that uh, much of the appeal to Roman Catholicism is that, well, they're pro-life and they seem more conservative. And you walk into the building and it's beautiful. And, and I get some of that, to be honest with you. I understand if you go to a church that's a pop evangelical church that's reinventing itself all the time and it's a TED talk, then walking into a church with stained glass and beautiful music is appealing. Um, but realize that this is a hierarchy. It's not like independent Protestant churches where it doesn't matter what Joel Osteen does. My church is separate from that. This is the Pope. This is the Vatican. And at the very top of the organization is some serious rot. So that's happening. And I know a lot of these stories are going to be sounding kind of dismal. Um, I have some encouragement, I hope, at the end <laughs> for you. So just hang with me as we uh, go through some of this. But here's another uh, international story. This is the Church of England. Now, this is not, you know, every there's different Anglican um, bodies, uh, denominations. This is the official Church of England. And they've decided that they're going to bless same-sex unions. That doesn't mean they're going to marry people who are in same-sex relationships and want to be married. It means that they're going to bless same-sex unions. So isn't that convenient? Now, I wonder what they would do for a heterosexual couple living in sin. Would they bless that union without a marriage? Um, you can see how this opens a whole can of worms. And uh, the Anglican church uh, going down the heretical hole very quickly. I mean, they're there, they're past there. Uh, and it is just sad to see this, that this is, you know, these are major institutions that have been taken over by evil men. That's really all you can say about it. And uh, throughout this whole process, I, I have a friend who uh, will just say is in a denomination that has some compromise, serious compromise. Now it's not Southern Baptist. It's like way more compromise than that. And they, they use the same playbook. Honestly, they, they use the um, you're not being compassionate to LGBT people and uh, they will pull out the um, th that you shouldn't you should speak in a Christian way, which means very humble and prostrate and you're not going to uh, offend. And it, it's effeminate, really. So it's, it's very effeminate behavior. But um, how do you have unity with those people? Right. They claim a lot of the things that are true. They believe in the Trinity and they believe that Jesus Christ came to give his life as an atonement for sin. I mean, they can cite the 39 articles, let's say, uh, to pick the Anglican example. Um, but yet, uh, when it comes to fundamental things that people in antiquity didn't even think they had to work out because it was pretty well worked out in most people's minds, even pagans knew men were men, women were women, uh, they have rejected that because of the pressure coming from the world and it's exposed who they really are. And I think in that case, you're dealing with apostates. You're dealing with, at the very least, if they're confused, you're dealing with people who um, are promoting false doctrine. And whether that's a situation like confronting uh, Peter, like Paul had to do, or whether it's a situation of having to actually call out real heretical error, you you have to, you can't 
you can't side with those people. You can't be in communion with those people. They're in sin. And that's where we're at with the Anglican Church and the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and so there, are, I should say, though, because Protestantism is different than Roman Catholicism, there are other denominations. There are other Anglican traditions, people that uh, use the Book of Common Prayer and their heritage goes back to the Church of England that are not the Church of England, that are not governed by them. Well, moving on, uh, we're going to get more narrow here. I want to talk a little bit about this. And the, the next few things I want to show you have just been kind of accumulating on my phone. But I, I felt the need to show you because it reinforces that the work we do is not done, that I need to keep doing what I'm doing, at least at times, even if it seems repetitive at times. I, I'm, I'm not doing as much of it, but I need to focus on the woke stuff or the social justice stuff at times. And the reason is, is we're in this phase of institutionalization. This stuff, the DEI stuff is ingrained now in even churches. And it's not the fight that it was in 2020. It's just, unfortunately, on an institutional level, we lost. And I think when it comes to the common person, we won. People know that CRT is bad, but it's, it's also going by different names and subversively making its way into institutions. And so, um, so we need to expose it when it happens, even if it's like small doses of it. And here's an article from Christianity Today, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it talks about McLean Bible Church. Mike Kelsey is reimagining the multi-ethnic church. He's become the lead pastor there, and he's been there for years on staff. Um, but the article goes on to talk about how hard it's been for him and how he's really taking his cues from a great, great uncle who detailed the clashes around race and integration and trying to uh, bring all this stuff to the forefront as if it has some relevance for Mike Kelsey, who's now uh, the most, what does it say? The uh, uh, one of the most, if not the most prominent top position at a historically white megachurch for a black person, which, you know, what does that do to the black people or racial minorities in congregations when they hear this kind of thing? I mean, I, I happen to know this particular church uh, is in a metropolitan area. It's very international and in, in the previous pastor, um, Lon Solomon was Jewish. So, I mean, I don't think Christianity Today did an article about him, this Jewish man who's the head of a white evangelical church, but they'll do it about uh, this particular individual, uh, Kelsey, who uh, he's the one that said he wanted to torch white people, white Christians in particular. He's the one who uh, recommended the color of compromise and um, books, the 1619 Project, CRT books. I mean, he's a woke guy. And um, you know, with, with this kind of a narrative that that's focused so much on race and that this was just such a hard thing and this barrier has been broken, what does that do? I, I, I just think that if you're sitting there and you're a white person, you're now on eggshells, right? And if you're not, then you're thinking that everything out there is uh, oppression. You're conditioned into thinking that people are out to get you. And that uh, because this is, is actually kind of condescending almost in a way. It's like, you know, why is it every time a racial minority or a woman or LGBTQ plus person, or at least they think they are that, they, they get into a position of authority somewhere and they're a first, quote unquote, in a particular field. Everyone's just expected to clap. And if you don't, it's noticed. And it's kind of awkward, is it not? You're, um, you're somewhat of an anomaly. You're somewhat of a curiosity. Uh, you are, you, you are never made to forget kind of like the, the oppression that resided in where you came from, supposedly that you carry that with you. And so, you know, these people just keep burdens. I mean, um, even with a, a headline like this, 
reimagining the multi-ethnic church. Yeah, we, we need a big reimagining. We read a, we need a huge, apparently, um, uh, <laughs> the thing is too, this church, this church was a church of like, you know, 15,000 people that's now like cut in half by David Platt under David Platt. And, you know, I, I, it seems like they probably should go back to the drawing board, not reimagine things. Um, but you, you have something similar going on uh, with, where did I have it pulled up? With Michael Kruger. Michael Kruger, and, and this is a disappointment because I thought Michael Kruger was more conservative, but after his article in 2020 for the Gospel Coalition about submitting to the government, I'm not so sure about that. But he said, as a past president of the Evangelical Theological Society, I'm pleased that Karen Jobes will be the next president. She is both an excellent scholar and a wonderful human being. Christianity Today, again, wrote an article about the first female president in the 75 years of the organization's existence of the Evangelical Theological Society, which uh, is very important for the scholarship of evangelicals. I've been to one of their meetings, and um, th this is he's doing the same thing here. It's just like, you know, th th you have to clap. You have to um, acknowledge that, uh, you know, th there's the first woman who's done this. And, and, and it's a curious thing in this case, even more so, because this is a situation where you have an organization that has influence over churches. It's not a hierarchy in the sense of like it has control over churches. It just has influence. But uh, it, it's kind of like at Southeastern when they had women on the board for the school. Um, and I think they had a chairman that was a woman when I was there, if I'm not mistaken. And, and the, it's like, well, you know, women can't be pastors, but boy, do they know what makes a good pastor and they'll they have oversight over the curriculum. It makes no sense. Um, and, and so th this is just another further indication to me that the creation norms are being eroded here. But uh, but it's also an indication that there's this DEI stuff has to be applauded. It's got to be acknowledged. It needs to be focused on. We we must all turn our heads to see that now we've made progress. A woman has become the first. Uh, and, and this isn't progress. This is, if anything, this is a sign of judgment. Um, David Platt, by the way, I, I noticed on the TGC website uh, is he, he does this kind of kind of awkward um, invite to the TGC Women's Conference. And I went to the conference and uh, website and you see all these speakers. And I was a little blown away that there's all these speakers, which means it must be a big group, I would think. Um, I mean, I don't know. There must be at least like, there's like 50 speakers here. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's probably more like 70. I mean, there's like a bunch of speakers. And, and the ones I recognize are all woke. I don't recognize all of them. But, um, you know, TGC still has some power. They still have some influence. And, and I think it's easy to get into your own kind of like group online and think like, oh, they don't have influence anymore. I think they're losing it, but they still have influence. And so our work, I think, must go on um, at times, even if it's sometimes a, a review thing. Uh, Ken Keithley, I noticed, a professor at Southeastern Seminary where I went, a big Southern Baptist school, um, made a post not recently basically saying, uh, asking uh, Kristen Dumez and Amy Bird and, my, and uh, Michael Bird um, and Beth Allison Barr, all woke people on this panel. Uh, he wrote on Twitter asking them that he's willing to learn and any sense of irony about discussing the failures of conservative evangelicals on gender issues in LGBT uh, plus church that belongs to a denomination rupturing over gender issues. Uh, so I think he, what he's saying is there's a connection between these things or asking if there is. And, and this is, you know, th th this is foolish. This is a man who he wants to sit at the feet of these, these women uh, who are on the left to learn. <laughs> this is a man who trains pastors 
to learn about uh, the, the failures of the evangelical church on gender issues and LBGT stuff. And it's just, it reinforces in my mind, I mean, this stuff is still out there. It's just ingrained. It, I mean, this kind of goes with a hoe and a hum now. And it shouldn't like th this, um, you know, I, I realize where things are at. I realize lines have been drawn. Um, but like, you know, th th this is still happening. This is still uh, an issue for people. And some people who are coming into the seminary who they don't have all the background. They don't know what's going on. Now, meanwhile, to, to narrow the focus even more, we've gone from kind of like the more the social justice evangelicals. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the people who supposedly I thought weren't social justice evangelicals. Although Kevin DeYoung has said some things that I think are kind of woke, but he, he would not be considered woke. He would not consider himself woke. Um, and yet he writes this article on the culture war, Doug Wilson and the Moscow mood. Now I have to say this about Doug Wilson. People have asked me for, I don't know, over a year to, to say something about Doug Wilson. Uh, in fact, some people, uh, desperate, uh, pleading with me, John, you might be the only one to really warn about Doug Wilson. And most of it related to the federal vision stuff, which Kevin DeYoung does not write about. Unfortunately, I was kind of wishing he would write about that. I would, I'm, I'm hoping for some really clear, good material on that. And maybe it exists. I've read the R. Scott Clark stuff. I, I don't find it very helpful in my opinion, but, um, there, there, there is a problem, I believe somewhere in there, uh, more than one. And I've, I'll put it this way. I've looked at it for hours, maybe days, and I've concluded I need to look at that issue for weeks if I'm ever going to do a podcast on it because it is a complicated issue. I used to dismiss anyone who would bring it up because they were also bringing up like, yeah, Doug Wilson's, he believes that slavery is fine. And, and, and I was just like, you know what? But what I've realized though, is that, you know, there, there are some, some questions I think that at least should be asked and answered and should, it, it warrants an examination. There's, there, there's no doubt about that in my mind that it would, that would be a productive thing to do. And, 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 and I think a charitable way in a, in a very, um, in a, in a way that promotes learning and understanding and theological, um, uh, correctness. However, uh, that's not what Kevin DeYoung does. And he could have talked about that. He's, he doesn't, but he, he also, there's a lot of things he could have talked about. Doug Wilson talks a lot. I, I guess I talk a lot too in the podcast, but Doug Wilson puts out a lot of stuff. And sometimes I get the impression at certain times he might be like doing theology on the spot, which is always unwise, uh, in my opinion. And I know because I've gotten into jams on the podcast before where I just know I need to shut up. <laughs> I need to stop talking because I'm, I'm thinking like I'm talking about the Trinity right now and I'm getting into an area where I'm not certain my language is clear and this is something I want to be clear. So Doug Wilson has said things like there's authority and submission in the Godhead. He's talked about um, the Jews today in his new book being under the covenant with Ishmael, which is novel, a covenant with Ishmael. That, that's a novel thing. Um, that Adam was misbehaving when he reached for the forbidden fruit, but he wasn't sinning. Like there's, there's plenty of things that he's said over time that Kevin DeYoung could probably take issue with that are actually like, so substantive like he, he could say here's what, what doug wilson thinks or said and this is what i think and said and let's have a, a a helpful debate an exchange that's not what he did that's not what he did and so i know maybe some of the moscow people are a little upset at me i don't know for saying for acknowledging that there's some i, I don't think you should take that the wrong i think even doug wilson would be appreciative of legitimate critiques i know i want to be humble enough to be appreciative of legitimate critiques because we all we all stumble in various ways and 
Um, but if we're humble about it and we are, you know, we want to pursue the truth, then if someone points those things out to us, then we're not going to be so defensive about it. What happens though is not that. What happens, it, it, I've honestly just, if I ha didn't have much interest in reading Kevin DeYoung, I have less now. He talks about what he calls the Moscow mood. That's right, the Moscow mood. Now, let me say one last thing before I get into the article. I thought the Moscow mood, I thought that if that's what he was critiquing, it was going to be something like this. There were some videos I saw not long ago of, um, and I think they were for the church, for Christ Church in Moscow, of men singing sea chanties, very masculine kind of things, which uh, is Moscow near the ocean? I didn't, I didn't think so. Maybe the, the Coeur d'Alene or something, but uh, anyway, they're doing sea chanties. And women at the same time are baking bread or, or rolling dough and making pies and doing women things. And so men are singing sea chanties, women are doing women things. And the whole thing is done. And, and I realized in, in there was like two videos that these, this was a brand, this was a lifestyle. This was a, um, this was a certain way of living that it was promoting to you in these videos. It wasn't a, a church so much as it was like it, like a, like a style. Right. And, um, okay. So if, if his critique was against that, like, 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 Hey, maybe you should, I don't know, start a, a different organization to do that. Maybe that shouldn't be a church thing, which I, I think it was a church thing. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Someone can correct me. Not a big deal. Really. I'm not making much of a critique. I'm just saying I could see a path for a critique. If that's the Moscow mood, right. That you gotta be a homeschooler and you gotta smoke cigars and you gotta, like there's this expectation upon you that the women are going to be doing this and the men are going to be doing this. And this is what, to be part of our church, you need to be this way. If, if that's what's going on and, and I'm too distant from the church to really know if that's what's going on. But if that's what he was going to say and like, Hey, this is unhelpful. This is beyond the regulative principle, whatever. I could see even a fair critique in that. So, so there you go. I've, I've given you two avenues. I think that could have been fair critiques of, or at least helpful critiques potentially of the Moscow, you know, what's going on there, despite all the helpful things. So hopefully people know I'm not like rabidly out there just on team, you know, Moscow or whatever. I'm not. He made the best advertisement for Doug Wilson of Moscow. I think I've ever read because it was so, I think ridiculous, although he's Kevin DeYoung and he puts things in very, I, I would say, um, he sounds smart as he says them and, and he makes some good points here and there, but like overall, this article is not good. It's it, it actually, I think reinforces the reason people go there as a good thing. So the Moscow mood, what's the Moscow mood? Well, um, he says that the appeal to the Moscow is visceral more than intellectual. That's not meant to be a knock on the smart people there, but it is to say, however, that people are not mainly moving to Idaho because they now understand revelation or, okay. So he's saying it's not theology it goes through this whole thing. It's not theology. Um, they're going there, uh, because they have, uh, a, there's a cultural aesthetic and a political posture that Wilson embodies. So it's not for convictions. It's because they want a particular, aesthetic. And then he goes on to talk about how this aesthetic uh, is basically associated with sin. His, his concern is that there's long-term spiritual effects of admiring and imitating the Moscow mood. 
The mood that attracts people to Moscow is often incompatible with Christian virtue and inconsiderate of other Christians and ultimately inconsistent with the stated aims of, of Christian of Wilson's Christendom project. And so he talks about the sarcasm and what Wilson does with No Quarter November and how he uh, mocks the ERLC, which deserves a lot of mocking. And he mocks G3, which frankly, G3, unfortunately, some of the people who run that have made some very foolish decisions. Um, and I was glad in uh, the response by Doug Wilson to this article, he mentioned, hey, look, G3 is the one that said when Cross Politic was there, they could not interview me at their booth. So it's an, it's not like I chose this, um, which I think is good because I get frustrated too behind the scenes. I've been disinvited from places and I, you know, things happen behind the scenes of, of supposedly anti-woke people who will then cancel me because they feel pressure or, um, or, you know, and they don't want to be seen as that. They don't want me to say, I'm sure that that's happened, but it's, um, I just say our side is not as, uh, as, as squeaky clean as some may think it's like the Republican party in a way, like it's better than the Democrats, but we just cause you're not woke doesn't mean there's not corruption issues and so forth. And so I'm glad Wilson brought that out because Kevin DeYoung doesn't seem to have a problem with, with, he doesn't like, let me ask you this. When, when did Kevin DeYoung ever, um, write against the ERLC? When did Kevin DeYoung ever write against the gospel gospel coalition? And Kevin DeYoung's a board member for the gospel coalition. He hasn't. Um, the, the gospel coalition has promoted things far worse than the Moscow mood. The gospel coalition has promoted uh, movies that have sex scenes and uh, lots of profanity. And he gets on to Doug Wilson for using uh, filthy language. But at the same time, it's like, but you're sitting on the board of an organization that's promoted all these films with filthy language. It's very curious to me. Um, and there's, there's all sorts of little things that I'd love to pick apart in this, but we just don't have the time uh, to, to do that. Um, but uh, he thinks the focus is on Wilson himself uh, of this advertisement for No Quarter November, which is a, a, one of the, I don't have time to really explain the whole thing, but it's a, a series of blogs and they give away free stuff. And um, he had this, you know, kind of Clint Eastwood style video they made. And Wilson's taking this posture against the culture. And he, here's what he says. He says, the Moscow mood provides a nonstop adversarial stance towards the world and towards other Christians who are deemed or caricatured to be too afraid to tell it like it is. Moscow cannot become the American readout for conservative Christians um, if it is too similar to the other places. So, so, he's, so he, he's trying to say that they're trying to separate themselves, which, okay, maybe they are. But here's the deal. What's bad with that? Like, doesn't that sound good? I mean, I, I think of generally, you know, ordinary people. I think of uh, of even the church I go to. We're not, we, many of the people at my church wouldn't know who Doug Wilson is. Yet at the same time, they're going to a church with a pastor who's, who happens to be my father, who um, he, you know, took very hard stands in 2020. And a lot of people, they, they come and they keep coming because of that. They respect him. And he wasn't trying to make a name for himself, but I remember he stood up there preaching. He had a cowboy hat on. He was part of a kind of a joke. He had a bandana because that was his mask. Remember when you could use those for masks? Um, and so he, he didn't use that at the, at the pulpit, but when he went out to the store, he would use that in certain places. Uh, and, and then, but he says, put a cowboy hat on and he would preach like that with his back to the road, which is kind of a, a threat. It was a spectacle people would see. And then especially in our area where people were uptight about masks, uh, he was making himself, quite known that that's that this was his stand and we're going to keep the church open. And, um, 
he was only pastor in like a hundred mile radius, probably that even wrote exemptions for the vax. We had police at our church. And I think 2021, because uh, there was someone who was a moms for Liberty rep that wanted to use the building for something. And there was death threats and there was, there, there was all kinds of things that happened, but he stood his ground. And so the people who come there, they want it to be normal. They want to surround themselves with other people who also think a man's a man, a woman's a woman, and maybe these traditional roles are actually good. And I want to, I don't want to be surrounded by junk. I don't need winsomeness everywhere and tiptoeing. I just want to say like it is. The truth matters. And I think Kevin DeYoung could have written a similar article about my church, even though we're far from, uh, we just don't have the platform, but we're, we're not like Doug Wilson. I mean, it's a pre-millennial church, right? It's a, it's a Baptistic church. There's, there's so many things about it that don't match the theology of Moscow, Idaho's, um, you know, Christchurch theology, but the, the Moscow mood that he talks about, I could see, I could see it there. I can see what he's talking about. And it, it, I find it actually a little personally offensive. It's like, these are the Christians who are really uh, concerned. They're standing up, they have kids and they, if you want to move across the country to provide a safe place for your family in an environment that's better for them, um, that's a good motivation. That shouldn't be downplayed. And w- one of the things that Kevin DeYoung, th- this is how out of touch, unfortunately he is, um, I have to search for it to find it. Let's see here. So here it is. He says, um, no quarter November does not give us a month of posts on the loveliness of Christ, the power of prayer, the finer points of reform, soteriology, wonders of the cross, total trustworthiness of the Bible, holiness of God, intricacies of the Trinity. It's largely about speaking into a hot button cultural issues. Now, let me say something about this, and I'll be as clear as I possibly can. This is what Kevin DeYoung says. The house is on fire. It's burning down. Cultural issues are the things that are making it burn down. There's the- theology behind them, but none of the things Kevin DeYoung just said. Uh, it's it's questioning fundamental creation norms and that kind of thing. And you have someone who comes and they have a leaky bucket and they try to put it out. And let's say it's just not as effective as it could be. And instead of trying to put out the fire yourself, you criticize the person with a leaky bucket. That's how I see Kevin DeYoung in a way. Um, he's, he thinks that what is happening with the Moscow mood is defective. It's not the the true prioritization. It's rough around the edges. It's this style that's could be sinful perhaps, or attract sinful people. And what's the bottom line of all this? You have a fire going on and you have someone, if, even if they're doing it imperfectly, they're trying to do something about it. And I don't see Kevin DeYoung trying to do much about it. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't have biblical stances on marriage, on gender, on a lot of these things. But he's soft towards those in not just the world, in Christianity, who are soft peddling things like same-sex attraction. Kevin DeYoung is, himself has even said, that this is a, the curious thing about Kevin DeYoung is he has been on record saying that same-sex attraction is not a sin, basically. And then he wrote the forward to Rosaria Butterfield's book where she explicitly says it is. So so he doesn't even acknowledge where he's changed his beliefs, I guess, at least in that case. Um, but he he said even even things on uh, racial issues. He, he, he said you know, kind of woke stuff. He's he has not taken big stands against social justice. I saw his, um, his well, we, did, we reviewed it. We reviewed his whole dialogue on uh, at T4G on critical race theory. And it was just pathetic. And, you know, this is Kevin DeYoung. He, he's, he's, he's mostly unhelpful when it comes to these things. It's like, he's not even picking up the bucket. 
and the house is on fire and you have someone who's trying to do something and but he's got energy unfor somehow unfortunately to criticize the people who are trying to do something that's where i don't have patience honestly that's where i say look get out of their way if you want to critique if you want to take shots if you want to give some substantive uh um discernment about something at least take the log out of your own eye first you know take a shot at tgc you're on the board but no and, and that's that's kind of the issue there's hypocrisy and there's also this kind of like ivory tower like well they're not discussing the finer points of trinitarian theology all right well where do you see in our world that trinitarian theology is being attacked so aggressively at least to the point you know the the, the department of homeland security isn't paying people to go online with sock puppet accounts to attempt to overturn trinitarian theology they don't care they're there to overturn other things other narratives that christians believe on social issues so um people wanted me to talk about it <laughs> i kind of didn't want to but uh but but there you go there's my analysis of, of this article i don't really want to read anymore um now this is kind of consistent with this unfortunately uh josh bice put out something this I, I won't always talk about this stuff but he just said i hate to say it but i told you so and what's he saying i told you so about well he's he's referencing a panel he did where he said essentially that um christian nationalism the term is going to be weaponized against christians like big surprise right i've been saying that for three years most people have in fact gordon sanchez did a parody video three years ago that it's funny because it's it could probably describe where g3 is at now in a way like being very freaked out about Christian nationalism. Well, Mike Johnson, um, a, a, the person, the Speaker of the House, who does not even say he's a Christian nationalist, and I would say is kind of like, I mean, he's not even that rapidly like conservative. But um, James Carville said that Christian nationalists like Speaker Mike Johnson are a bigger threat than Al Qaeda. So this is what Josh Bice is reacting to. He said, I hate to say it, but I told you so, as if this is a bad thing. And he says, hashtag Christian nationalism. Uh, someone said, oh, no, liberals are defaming Christians. Who could have seen this coming? And then he responds, yep, true. It shouldn't have it should have been an obvious trap to avoid with the Christian nationalist label. So so he tried to warn us. I guess we wouldn't listen. And I mean, he tried to warn us like this year. I've been saying this for three years. But the, the, the issue is like, who cares about what the pagans believe? Right. The people who use the term aren't concerned with what James Carville, a Democratic strategist. And that's who he is. It's not even the media He's a Democratic strategist say they if we're so concerned with using the media as the measuring rod for what we should and shouldn't say, then there's a whole lot of things that, oh, we shouldn't say. I mean, James Carville, to pick an example, he thought Trumpism, uh, the Trump voting for Trump meant that you believe the United States was a nation, a people, a place, not an idea, which means you're basically a racist. So should we just, you know, don't vote for Trump, I guess, because uh, James Carville will call you a racist. I mean, th that's where this logic would eventually lead you. And um, if you make the media your measuring rod, if, if whatever they vilify is off limits, then, you know, and, and so Tom Buck reinforced this, that uh, Josh by specifically warned about this, which, you know, a lot of people were, I, I even, I was mocking this a bit on Twitter. I was just posting like stuff for myself and Gordon Sanchez from like two, three years ago and being like, we made the same point. We made the same point. Um, but, but the interesting thing, this is what someone specifically asked me to comment on or, or address was, him and, and Josh Abatoy got into it. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me just give you the bottom line here. Um, Josh Abatoy says, 
despite you using James Carville's absurd slurs against us, I remain happy to chat about this anytime. I don't think you're acting in bad faith, but I do think you are misguided in your tactics on this issue. Josh Bice, did I use it against you, Josh? He did. I simply predicted it would happen. I will not, it will not be the last time either. My point is continually made when I interact with you, you intentionally misrepresent. My tweet was not aimed at brothers. And I, you know, if Josh Bice is hearing this, Josh, it's good. I, I mean, I'm beyond tired of it. It's just, it, it's almost boring to me at this point, but I would love to have peace. I think, I know I'm not alone in that. I mean, Josh Abitoy would love to have peace with you, with the guys at G3. The thing is, there's a pattern here of when we try to interact when we try to reach out when we try to find common ground that the any disagreement seems like it's interpreted by you as misrepresentation slander lying you've called me a liar josh i know as if josh is watching he's probably not but josh bice has called me a liar and he can't you won't specify even though i've asked where my lie is what exactly have i lied about and it seems like disagreement is interpreted as like it, it's it's lying, it's slander, it's beyond the pale. And then you won't talk to people. You won't talk to brothers and you won't find common ground. And there's a fire, Josh. That's the thing. There is a fire right now. Let me, you want me to show you part of the fire? Here's part of the fire. This is a document that was just released by the House of Representatives, uh, the CTIL files. And the CTIL files um, is basically a program, the Department of Homeland Security, the bunch of agencies uh, were involved in this. But let me just like cut through the chase and, and give you the relevant part. The government in our country was essentially organizing people to use sock puppet accounts, anonymous accounts, to discredit people on social media who were forwarding narratives the government did not like. In other words, that guy arguing with you in the comments about something could potentially be working with the government to try to discredit you. They were working with social media companies. They were trying to influence the narrative and, and they've been doing this since at least 2019. And so this is a major revelation. This is huge. I mean, this, this, is, this is an anti-disinformation campaign in their minds, but it's really a disinformation campaign. And it's frightening. House is on fire, Josh. This is who's against us. They're using the tools of the government. They uh, they don't like you or your family. And if they'll call the Speaker of the House a Christian nationalist when he's any he, he's anything but Steve, he's not Stephen Wolf. <laughs> okay, uh, he's more like Josh Bice. Um, they'll call Josh Bice a Christian nationalist too. That's the thing. So maybe there's some people that are using terms you don't like. Maybe they have holes in the buckets they're using, but at least they're trying to put out the fire. And what I would encourage is as Christians, can we not work together? And if we can't, there's a real problem. If, if we won't even speak to each other because uh, we have disagreements over the way we go about approaching a problem like this, that will destroy us all in, in, a, in a way, like it will destroy our way of life. It will, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it will take away our salvation, but it will um, severely uh, hamper our ability to um, to do what we have been doing, whether that's evangelism or meeting freely in the church uh, or sharing our faith uh, on the job. It, that's the kind of enemy that we face. And I'm, it's just uh, it, it's just a reinforcement in my mind that this is where the evangelical world is, even on the quote unquote non-woke side. They are, they, they would 
I think rather than fighting giants, it seems like they, they really have a lot of energy for calling other brothers heretics when they're not. I mean, there's, there is such a thing as heresy and false teaching, but when you label a whole swath of people kinnis when they're not and call that a heresy uh, or a false teaching, whatever it was called, um, question their salvation, essentially, when you um, constantly you know, vilify and have so much energy to produce materials on this looming threat, and, and yet the threat isn't so much those people. Those people, the Christian nationalists, quote unquote, are trying to approach the real threat. And I've said before, I don't even use the label of myself. I see downsides to the label, but I don't go to my friends who think that it's a helpful label to use and say, you know, you're the problem. I predicted this. You're no, no. Uh, it, it, I, I just, I don't even understand that way of thinking if it doesn't come from a place of, um, we'll just say motives that are, are less than pure. And so, so anyway, that this is not, not really new for people who have followed that G3 controversy over the last year, but it's, it's sad to me because I know myself and many others have tried to make peace. We want that. And it's, yeah, <laughs> it's where we're at. So I want to say this though at the end in closing, um, for people who read the Bible, I don't think anything I just shared with you is surprising. You look at the seven churches in Revelation, how many of them were faithful? How many of them were commended, I should say, too? Two out of seven. You look at even the Old Testament, right? Uh, you could see the prophets, you could see in Judges, you could see even in the Exodus account that there's constantly um, problems in uh, among people who shouldn't have those problems, right? It's we're normal to expect in the pagan areas you're going to have problems. But when you have unbelief, idol worship, adultery, all the things that characterize pagan nations within the people of God who have been so blessed, who've been given revelation, who know God's good, know he expects obedience, know that he made a way to be forgiven. Know, they know all this stuff. They've seen firsthand miracles. Uh, they have everything they need, and yet they still decide to sin. That's where I think it's hard for us. That's where it's hard for us. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, uh, is a Christian. Will we'll, um, Christ will say, I never knew you to some. There's others who just have extreme ignorance and immaturity and they're growing, but it's there's a lot of pride in the way. And um, and so, you know, whether it's correcting Peter like Paul did, or whether it is actually uh, going after a false teacher because he's a wolf, there needs to be a stand made. There needs to be a line in the sand. That's what this podcast has really been about is discerning, making, making those lines where they need to be, uh, biblically driven lines um, when it comes to theology. Uh, this podcast has, uh, for the last few years, really been about um, helping you, equipping you with the knowledge you need to combat some of this stuff. And unfortunately, I, I thought initially people would take over right away, that I wouldn't need to do this for long because within a few weeks, there would be people, prominent people in evangelicalism who would kick this thing out of the park, this woke stuff. And it's still there. It's still there. And sadly, the energy that should come from people who have the capability of kicking it out of the park is being spent, it seems, on people like myself, um, people who are, are, are tired of this anemic, uh, effeminate, um, weak, kind of society that tells men they need to be girls and tells girls they need to try to be like men. And um, 
doesn't allow any standards or morals to be imposed because that would be bigotry. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I've, I've said, no, I, I've made my choice. I've, I'm with Christ. And I know that that's, um, that there's a, a lot of hardship with that. And I won't be perfect, but you're not going to find me. And, and, and I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else because of this. I'm just, I'm, I'm saying though, that because of that goal, this is the practical outworking of that. I'm not going to take shots at people who are trying to fight the same fire that I'm trying to fight. Because I think we have to have our priorities straight. Is there a fire or isn't there? And uh, I believe there is. So that's the podcast for today. I appreciate everyone who watched uh, and listened to it. There will be more coming later in the week, Lord willing. Truth Script Tuesday is tomorrow or today. I guess it's today, isn't it? It's, it's later today. And there will be a True Script Tuesday episode coming out. But I have to say this. It's no longer going to be coming through the Conversations That Matter podcast. So if you subscribe to Conversations That Matter, you're going to need to find Truth Script on iTunes. If you listen through iTunes, uh, you're going to need to go on YouTube and subscribe to Truth Script. And that's where you're going to find the Truth Script stuff, okay? Whether I'm doing it or someone else. Uh, that's uh, by design. We initially wanted uh, it to be um, promoted through this podcast because this audience has been so instrumental in building up Truth Script. But... Uh, going forward, it's going to be its own thing in many ways, and I will be very involved, but um, but th this is bigger than me, and this is one of the things, those of you who su have supported me and what I've been doing, you it wouldn't happen without you, so I appreciate all your support, your prayer, uh, financial or otherwise. I know times are hard, and not everyone can do that, and for those who do, it means a lot, and, and let me tell you something. This last week, I was able, because of your support over the years, um, I was able to do things that will be very important going forward in evangelicalism. And I, I can't wait to share more with you about it. But it's not just me. It's a group effort. I consider all of you who listen and pray and support this podcast to be part of it. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, God bless. And we'll talk more later in the week. Bye now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.